This message is brought to you by Cedar Springs Church. For more information, please visit cedarspringschurchnm.org. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we just sang, I pray that you would soften the ground of our hearts and open our ears, that you would reveal your glory to us, the work that you have done for us through our Savior, and Lord, the the mercy and the grace and the power that you have given us through him to accomplish the call you have on our lives. So, Father, it is in his name that I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. We are going to start 1 Peter chapter 4 this morning. If you want to start heading there in your Bibles... On occasion, when I get especially wound up up here, you might say lathered up in the south, my wife will kindly and gently, and I'm not being sarcastic, she, very, she does it very nicely, she'll tell me when we get home, your coach was showing. If you didn't know, I used to coach. And as general, you know, coach, you're very blunt, you're very forward, um, try to be convicting, encouraging at the same time, but there is not a lot of gray area. I say that to say, unashamedly, my coach is going to show this morning. I know for many of you that this study in 1 Peter has been somewhere between difficult and complicated. Well, I know for some of you it has has maybe encouraged, and for some of you it has angered. Some of you it has just plain wrecked. So by this point in the letter, I can feel some of you saying, even with probably some of the first readers of Peter, can we just tap the brakes for a sec? And let me catch my breath. Peter's answer this morning is simply, of course not. That's silly. The Word of God never flinches from its call on our lives. But what Peter does want to do this morning is give us a call to arms. A call that will give us the drive and the desire to do these hard things that he has been calling us to. In 2002, a pastor named Rick Warren wrote a book titled, The Purpose Driven Life. Now this book was roundly criticized by many Christians because it was a little light. 
It was focused very much on comfort in the happy parts of Christianity and the purpose-driven life of a Christian never really had anything to do with suffering in this book, but his premise was biblical. Peter's call to arms this morning is a call to purpose. This morning, Peter is going to call us to a purpose-driven life. Because you see, a purpose, a goal, an objective is what gives us the drive and the stamina and the strength and the desire to do anything that we do. In other words, we don't do anything without a purpose. Test me on that. For example, the purpose of a very specialized profession gives us the drive and the endurance to, for, for, for a, a tedious number of years of education. The simple purpose of security and provision drives us to work more than half of our waking hours for more than half of our years alive at work. The, the simple purpose of staying alive has caused many, women, many men and women throughout the centuries to do incredible things. In other words, purpose drives action. To have a purpose is to be motivated and willing to act. So look at what Peter says about this at the beginning of chapter 4, verse 1. He says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Now, if you're like me, that, if you think about it, that verse doesn't sound like we think it should. He says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. That doesn't sound right to me. I, I feel like that should say, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, you also should suffer in the flesh, or something like that. That's what I feel like that should say. But that's not what he says, so why? Well, it helps to see that what we're looking at here is a bookend. Flip back to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, Peter wrote, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So, on the front end, he says, prepare your minds for action. And then on the back end, he says, arm yourself with the same way of thinking. So first, he, he opens up this section of his letter saying, prepare your minds by setting your hope fully on Christ. And then he tells us everything we're supposed to do. So we prepare our minds to do that. And now this morning, as he closes that section, he calls us to arms. Here he says, arm yourself with the same mindset. So what is that same way of thinking? Well, that little phrase, same way of thinking, or the same attitude, or the same understanding, your translation might say, it's a complex word. 
which is why there's so many different translations, that at its core means purpose or intention. For example, in Hebrews chapter 4 and in verse 12, speaking of the effectiveness and insight of the Word of God, it says this, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions, same word, of the heart. In other words, where do we find the motivation to do the difficult things that Peter has called us to do? How, how do I submit to governments and, and bosses and husbands that, that are difficult? How do I live a life that, that will serve only to further exile me from, from the world around me? How can I be okay with suffering for doing the right thing? Peter says, arm yourself with the same objective, the same intentions, the same purpose that Christ had. That's what I want to persuade you of this morning. That we must arm ourselves with the same purpose as Christ. We must arm ourselves with the same purpose as Christ. So what is that purpose? What, what was that mindset of His that we are supposed to have and arm ourselves with? Well, you can write these down, but I'm just going to read them. You'll get the gist. John chapter 4, verse 34. Jesus said, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. John chapter 5, verse 30. Jesus said, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. John chapter 6, verse 38. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And of course, in Matthew chapter 26, verse 39, when Jesus was in the garden facing this greatest test of whose purpose he was going to accomplish, he said, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus' objective, his, his intention, his purpose, his mindset that, that gave him not only the drive and the desire, but the willingness to suffer was to do the will of God. That was his purpose. That's what fueled him in this life, was to do the will of God. And now look at, at 1 Peter chapter 4. Look how that's what he's saying in the rest of verse 1. He says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. That's a tricky little verse there. Let me just simplify it for you without going through all of the mess. Peter's not saying that we will completely cease from sin. What he's simply saying is you must arm yourself with the purpose of Christ, which is to do the will of God. Because those who live for the will of God have set aside sin. They've broken from sin to do the will of God. 
And the reason he says we need to arm ourselves with that purpose is because if we do the will of God, if we set aside those earthly passions, we will suffer. This is, this is Peter, Peter's way of saying what Paul said in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verse 12. He said, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So listen, brothers and sisters, if this study has been difficult, if you've been struggling with the things that you have heard, if you are looking for the drive and the desire and the initiative to submit and suffer and honor and to be holy, Peter's answer is you need a purpose. You need an objective. You need a goal. You must arm yourself with the purpose, with the objective, with the goal to do the will of God. We must arm ourselves with the purpose of doing God's will in order to accomplish what Peter has been calling us to do. So what's your purpose? What's your objective? And this is Sunday and we're sitting in church, so you guys know the answer has something to do with God or Jesus. But I want to talk about tomorrow. I want to talk about Tuesday and the rest of the week. Remember, purpose drives action. What will your actions say your objective is this week? What will your actions say you are purposing to do? What will your actions say about what is driving you and fueling you? Because I'm going to be blunt with you for a minute. Why do so many Christians not have the strength or energy or desire to fellowship with the saints more than once a week? Why do so many Christians have such immense vigor and endurance for their education or their profession while they find it tedious and exhausting to study the Bible? Why can so many Christians exhaust themselves serving their children or their family, but they never have time to serve anyone else? Why, why do so many Christians unashamedly proclaim to anyone who will listen the latest sports stat or achievement of their child or political news, but proclaiming the gospel never comes to mind? The answer is because their purpose doesn't match their calling. Their actions betray what their purpose is. And I'm not talking about people out there. I'm talking about people in this room. If your purpose, if your objective is of this world then you're not going to have the motivation or the stamina or the desire to do the things that Peter has called us to do. 
Now, I'm not saying you have to be legalistic about where you spend your time and energy. That's not what I'm saying. There are seasons in all of our lives. The problem is, is that there are Christians in this room where those seasons have been decades. There are Christians in this room who have not regularly attended a midweek Bible study for decades. There are Christians in this room who walk through those doors every Sunday expecting to be served, yet they have little time or interest in serving others. There are people in this room who have copious amounts of time for work and hobbies, but none for any other will of God. There are Christians in this room who have thousands of dollars to pay for toys and vacations and such, but they can't afford to give God much or anything. There are Christians in this room who, when they are confronted with sin, hide and run and become defensive and angry instead of repentant and convicted. And for every single one of those issues, there is a purpose. There is an objective behind it. Too many of our Christian lives have become cul-de-sacs for the grace and mercy of God. We love that that, that vehicle pulls into our, our part of that neighborhood, but there's a big sign that says no outlet. I'm not talking to everyone. There is a, a gamut of people in here. Contrary to what I just said, there are many in here who exhaust themselves every day serving others with their gifts. There are those of you in here who would put most of this congregation to shame if they knew how much you gave. There are those of you in here who are eager and excited to study the Bible every chance you get. And there are any number of people in between and I'll let the Holy Spirit deal with each of you on where you land on that spectrum. To those of you who, who are, have purposed in your life to, to, to pursue and to, to do the will of God, to, to you I say that I see you. And I appreciate you. And along with you, I can't wait for that day that we can rest the foot of our Savior. But to the former I say, this is a call to arms. This is a call for some of you to absolutely, completely rearrange the objectives of your life. For some of you, this is a call to endurance, to continue doing the good work you've been doing. For some of you, it's a call to, to, to arm yourself with the mindset of God more because you're on the right track and you're growing and, and you're becoming more concerned with the purposes of God. And there's all in between. Peter is calling us to arm ourselves with the purpose of Christ. We are at war. And our God is a good lion, but he is not a safe lion. We need to take a hard look at what our actions are exposing 
are our true objectives, our true goals, our true intentions in this life. Because if we want to do what Peter has called us to do, if we want to not nervously follow Peter around uh, our, our little shop of glass idols, don't touch that. No, 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 no. If we want to have that ability, we must arm ourselves with the same purpose of Christ. Which means we must be armed with the purpose of doing the will of God. It must drive and fuel everything that we do. Look at verse 3. Where Peter says we must arm ourselves with the same purpose as Christ because enough time has passed for sinning. He says, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. As the great Puritan John Owen said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. I hear a lot of Christians talking about wanting a revival in America. And I think that's awesome. I would love that. The problem is, is that every vi revival that has ever happened had one place at its core. And it's repentance. Wailing and weeping. Repentance for sin. So I love the way that Peter opens this verse he doesn't let his foot off the gas. It's like he's just getting warmed up in verse 1 and he barks out enough already. It doesn't matter if you're 10 years old or 80 years old. Enough time has passed for sin. I think David Helm sums up what Peter is saying perfectly. He says, life as an ongoing fraternity party is a major problem in the church today. If we're not there in person, we are all too often present through what we watch on television, see in theaters, or watch on the internet. For men, sensuality is an especially prevalent issue. It's the elephant in the room. In other words, if you want to put sin behind you, then you must arm yourself with the purpose of Christ. Picture a couple walking along a trail in the, in the mountains behind their home. And they find this little wolf pup that, that they can see on the road. Its mother has been killed. And so they, they take it in. And they nurse this little puppy and, 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 and let it lay in their laps while they watch TV. And they let it sleep with them. And eventually they play fetch with it and take it on their walks. And they even discipline it and teach it how to obey humans and treat them like friends. Until one day on one of their walks, the sound of wolves howling can be heard in the distance. And, and they begin to wonder kind of nervously what's going to happen with their pet wolf. They're surprised to see as the sound of these other wolves grow, grows closer and closer that their wolf actually becomes more and more nervous, wants to go home, hides behind them. In effect, this wolf has been tamed. Brothers and sisters, too many Christians have been tamed by the pleasures of this world. We have sat in the lap of this world and feasted for too long 
on the comfort it has to offer, and we have become soft. We have forgotten what it means to be aggressive with sin and dangerous to the evil forces of this world. If we are to become untamed by the sensuality and passions of this world, we must arm ourselves with the same purpose of Christ. In only a way that he can, C.S. Lewis describes the danger of, of not putting our sin to death. He said, Indeed, the only way in which I can make real to myself what theology teaches about the heinousness of sin is to remember that every sin is the distortion of an energy breathed into us. An energy which, if not thus distorted, would have blossomed into one of those holy acts whereof God did it and I did it are both true descriptions. Meaning, God is breathing into us His will, His desire. And, and, and if we were to follow through on that, it would be this glorious melding of where what He wants us to do and what we do do, it, it's just seamless. But He says sin, sin distorts that. He says we poison the wine as He decants it into us. He says we murder a melody that He would play through us as the instrument we caricature the self-portrait he would paint. Hence, all sin, whatever else it is, is blasphemy. As God is breathing his will and his plans into our hearts and minds through his spirit. And we must not allow our sinful passions, our sinful purposes, our sinful objectives to distort the melody that he wants to play through us. And the only way we can do that is we must arm ourselves with the same purpose as Christ. Because enough time has passed for sinning. Peter wants us to be prepared for what will happen when we do that. So look at verse 4. Where he says we must arm ourselves with the same purpose as Christ because we will be maligned. He says with respect to this they are surprised. When, they do not, when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. With respect to this, he says at the beginning of verse 4, meaning with respect to you putting off or, or ceasing to do what the Gentiles do in verse 3. He says they're surprised when you don't join them. When was the last time your actions surprised the world? R.C. Sproul, in his book, The Holiness of God, he tells a story where Billy Graham played golf with uh, President Ford and two PGA professionals. And they got done with their round and they got back and, and someone asked one of the professionals, how did it go? And just in this flood of profanity and anger, this, this PGA professional says, I don't need Billy shoving religion down my throat. He stormed off to the practice tee. Later, R.C. said that he could overhear one of this professional's friends talking to him. And, he asked, and this friend asked this guy, he said, was, was Billy kind of rough on you? And the professional said, no, 
Billy didn't say anything about religion or faith. I just had a bad round. Reflecting on this, R.C. says this. He says, it's astonishing. Billy Graham is so identified with religion, he's so associated with the things of God, that his very presence is enough to smother the wicked man who flees, even when no man pursues. He says, Luther was right. The pagan does tremble at the rustling of a leaf. He feels the hound of heaven breathing down his neck. He feels crowded by holiness, even if it is only made present by an imperfect, partially sanctified human vessel. In other words, when we are armed with the same purpose as Christ to do the will of God, the world will feel the same disgust it did toward Christ. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, late 30s A.D. or 21st century A.D. God's will is still the stench of death to those who are dying and the aroma of life to those who are living. Do you want to be free of the fear of being maligned by others? Do you want to have the courage and the drive and the motivation to, 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 to do the will of God, even though you might be maligned? If we would live the fearless lives that Peter just called us to a few verses ago when he said, who is there to harm you? If we are to do that, we must live lives that are driven and inspired and fueled by purpose. Fueled to do the will of God. Regardless of what others say, we must arm ourselves with the same purpose of Christ because we will be maligned. Which leads us to verse 5, where Peter says, We must arm ourselves with the same purpose as Christ because they will give an account. He says, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. In Acts chapter 9, you can read about the conversion of Saul to Paul, and it's an interesting story. But when Jesus knocked Saul off his horse, Jesus asked him, why are you persecuting me? And, and Saul responded, I'm not persecuting you. But that's not the way Jesus saw it. The way Jesus saw it is if you are persecuting my people, you are persecuting me. And the same is true for what Peter's saying here. He's basically saying if they malign you, they malign God. In verse 5, he's saying, for this reason. Because of your, your, your breaking from sin, they malign you. Because of your, your doing the will of God, they malign you. And Peter is saying that they will stand before God to give an account for why they maligned his people and by extension him. That is, is supposed to give us hope. That they won't go unjudged. We won't go unvindicated. But here's the catch. 
if our purposes and our objectives are of this world, then we don't want to wait. If, if what we want is in this world, then we want vindication in this world. And waiting for God's vindication is difficult to say the least. Which means if we are to find any peace in that later judgment, in the, in the judgment of God, we must be armed with that same purpose as Christ to do the will of God. Because when, we're, when we want to do the will of God, then we will be okay with His will being their judgment later. Now this leads us to the last reason that we must be armed with the same purpose as Christ. And it's what I want you to walk out of here with this morning in verse 6. He says, For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the Spirit the way God does. Now that is a really tricky verse. Because Peter uses a lot of words to mean things that we don't usually associate those words with. I think the NIV says it well, so let me read to you out of the NIV this verse. (laughs) He says, For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that even they might be judged according to human standards in regards to the body, but live according to God in regard to the Spirit. Meaning, even though they died like everyone else, that's the judgment of the body, even though they died, they are alive in the Spirit with God because of the gospel. In other words, brothers and sisters, we must be armed with the purpose, with the objective, with the goal the desire of hearing our Father say, well done, good and faithful servant. If we want to accomplish the will of God, that must be the motivation that's fueling us. There's a song by the afters titled, Well Done, and the first verse says this. What will it be like when my pain is gone? And all the worries of this world just fade away. What will it be like when you call my name? And that moment when I see you face to face. I've been waiting my whole life to hear you say, Well done. Well done, my good and faithful one. Welcome to the place where you belong. Well done. Well done, my beloved child. You have run the race, and now you're home. Welcome to the place where you belong. Christ's burning passion was to hear the Father say this to him. It was the drive that gave him the resolve to live the righteous life that he did for you and I. It was the single focus that fueled his passion to pay for our sins on the cross. And ultimately, it was the power that brought him out of the tomb. Christians, we must arm ourselves with this way of thinking, with this purpose, 
and unyielding desire to hear our Father in heaven say, Well done, good and faithful servant. We must arm ourselves with the goal with the dream to hear our Father say when we get to heaven, well done. Why are you being so quiet? I know when you hear that, a spark runs through your spirit. I know when you hear me say to look forward to that time when, when, when we hear our, our, our Father say, well done, good and faithful servant, a little bit of lightning shoots through your soul. I know that because it's supposed to. It's supposed to fuel us in this life. It's supposed to be the purpose for which we do God's will. We must unchain that purpose in our lives as Christ did. We must allow it to absorb us and to rule everything that we do. We must let the, the hope of hearing our Father in heaven say, well done, shape and prioritize all of our decisions. When you go to work tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday, your point is not to make money. Your point is, what ways today can I see if God will say, well done, good and faithful servant? We must let the objective of hearing our Father say in heaven, well done, radiate out of us. That purpose, we must let grow a passion in us to herald the gospel. We must let that purpose shine out of us in holiness and righteousness because it will give us a desire to hear our Father say it. We must, we must lean on that purpose to hear our Father say, well done. We must lean on it. We must find refuge in it to stiffen our resolve to stand against the pressures of this world. We must arm ourselves with the same purpose as Christ to do the will of God and to hear our Father say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Let our actions expose that that is what our goal is, that that is what our purpose is. And watch your life be transformed. When you quit living for this world, when we start to chase that goal, when the shiny things become the dull things because the bright things in heaven, the treasure in heaven, is far more glorious than this. We must be armed with the same purpose as Christ to do the will of God because that purpose is so much more glorious than any other purposes this world has to offer. Now let me turn the coach off and turn on the pastor and say, I know that every single one of you is going to have a different reaction to what you just heard. Some of you is going to be indifference. Some of you is going to be motivated. Some of you are going to be angry. Some of you are going to be upset. I'm asking you, I don't care what you're feeling. Come talk to me. 
Talk to another elder. Talk to someone else. We can't hear these heavy, heavy, deep calls of Scripture on our life and not do anything. Just stew. Because the grace and the mercy and the unity of the body is enough to grow us all through this at different ways. So yes, we must arm ourselves with the same purpose as Christ. And if you're not there yet, let's talk about it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray through your Spirit I pray that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts to the power that you have worked in us through our Savior Jesus Christ when you brought him back from the dead. I pray like Gideon you would reveal to us that our battle is not against flesh and blood but against the forces of this earth. Most of all, Father, I pray that you would pluck us out of this, this desire for this world that, that we have, each one of us in different ways. And I pray you would grow in us a fire and a desire to kill our own sin and to do your will that we would be begging for more grace and mercy so that more could flow out of us. I pray, Lord, that you would make us dangerous to the darkness in this world. I pray, Lord, that you would unite us in this task so that as a body we pull and we work for your will together. And in that we find comfort. Father, I pray that in all of this, our Savior would be our focus. The day we get to rest with Him would be our desire. That hearing the words from your mouth, well done, good and faithful servant, would drive us to this task. And Father, it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.